Welcome to the future of NFTs, brought to you by Adlunum, the first engaged to earn proof of attention IDO launchpad. Hosted by co-founder and CEO, Natya Bester. We bring you exclusive insights on NFTs, the revolutionary digital technology that's transforming the world as we know it. Hey, Web3 world, this is Natya Bester from Adlunum. And you are listening to The Future of NFTs, the show that looks beyond current NFT use cases and dives into what non-fungible token technology is all about. All of this as seen through the eyes and built by the amazing minds of the fascinating guest speakers that we speak to each week. Adlunum is the only IDEO launchpad that rewards attention with allocation. Our Engage to Earn platform features dynamic NFT investor profiles, NFT allocation fractionalization, and our one-of-a-kind proof-of-attention allocation mechanism. And if you are new, you can catch Future of NFTs live on Tuesdays, same time, not necessarily same place uh, next year, but we will be communicating the YouTube channel to you before that happens. And of course, if you miss out on any of the live episodes, we are also on podcast streaming platforms, which means that you can listen anytime, anywhere, as well as our sister show, Diving Into Crypto, which is live on Thursdays, where we talk about more general crypto topics uh, than the NFT focus of this show. So do join us for both shows as we speak to thought leaders and change makers in this game-changing industry. All right, so on to today, as I said, cold weather, hot topic, because I think even if you have been living under a rock, chances are that over the last few weeks, you've heard that AI has taken much of the world by storm, whether that has been AI generative art or more recently, ChatGPT, which grew to, I think it was 1 million users in only five days, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, that took other companies, that kind of numbers took other companies months to achieve. So it really goes to show that people are absolutely fascinated with the possibilities of what AI generation can do, whether that is art, whether that is, I mean, if you look at the at the applications of ChatGPT, it's not just art, it is. it can code for you, it can write recipes, it can fix your code, it can, whatever it is that you can think of, and this is the amazing thing about what is happening right now, is people are thinking up new ways to interact with this technology. So I'm so extremely pleased to have with us on the show today. I'm going to hand it over to you. Please give us a brief introduction about yourself. No problem at all. No problem at all. I'm uh, so I'm Art Jeroen van der Most. I'm an artist uh, exploring uh, new uses of uh, newer technologies like uh, artificial intelligence and quantum computing. And um, what well, these explorations are more or less about, um, yeah, hopefully giving uh, people inspiration to rethink how we use technology and what technology is and uh, what we use it for. And often this is about uh, yeah, about boundary breaking. So breaking boundaries, for example, between uh, humans and the natural world. So trying to use newer technologies to bring us uh, closer to the natural world. And I build all sorts of installations using uh, well artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and do this for uh, well quite some autonomous projects that I just initiate because I think they're cool. 
We also do that a lot for uh, well for museums, universities, uh, building art installations for tech companies like uh, Nvidia, uh, but also uh, nonprofits, Amnesty International, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, well, that's a little bit about what I do, and it's really uh, what you see uh, happening at the moment with uh, artificial intelligence, just like you uh, mentioned with ChatGPT, et etc. That's just uh, quite astonishing. I've been doing this for 12 years now, and it's really what you see happening over the past couple of months. It's really beyond uh, yeah, every expectation I guess a lot of people had about uh, artificial intelligence and its capabilities. So I'm curious, because you've been operational in the space for a long time. Why do you think this mass traction only happened within the last few months? I mean, of course, the technology had to take its time to develop, but why is the world ready and ripe for this kind of mass adoption that we are seeing right now? Yeah, it's basically because of this rise of these uh, text-to-image, text-to, uh, well, text to te basically text-to-everything at the moment. So it's really about systems. That are now, uh, well, the, the main change, I guess, probably is that now every, everyone without any coding can use platforms like, uh, or, or models like uh, Stable Diffusion, Midjourney, etc., to create imagery. So exciting, cool imagery based on purely uh, text-based input. And uh, it's more or less the same now with, uh, with ChatGPT, which, of course... Uh, uh, came after GPT-3, which already also had kind of a little bit uh, an interface which it could uh, handle with purely text input. But ChatGPT is really bringing this to the next level in the sense you can really have the sort of like real conversations with the system. And it will actually really, uh, it's just like having a conversation with a normal people almost, normal, normal per person almost. So that's really the change you see happening now. And it's really leading to this mass yeah, adoption of these uh, of these systems. So it's sort of like a democratization also of the use of these systems. And that also brings in a lot of money and a lot of, lot of development. It's really an incredible speed now development. Yeah, that is so interesting that you mentioned that it brings an element of democratization because there's been this chatter in different spaces that the introduction of AI, especially in these kind of applications, are going to kill artistic creativity or at least kill the opportunities that artists have to be, let's say, organically creative. So what are your thoughts on how this kind of AI creativity can actually augment human creativity as opposed to replace it? Yeah, it's it's a double-edged uh, sword, I guess you would call, could call it like this. I mean, I, I do see, if I have to choose, if this is a threat or an opportunity to human uh, creativity, I do see it really as, as an opportunity because it can really boost. I mean, you could see artificial intelligence some kind of way. It's a new tool, but you could also see it as a sort of new assistant or a sort of team of assistants that you could actually use as an artist. So it really enables you to really explore really fast all sorts of new creative uh, ideas and create all sorts of uh, visuals around it etc etc to create new worlds at really uh, large speed and even with systems like chat gpt it can really enable you or facilitate you in, in yeah in ideation so really coming to new creative uh, ideas uh, uh, as well as a sort of like creative uh, sparring partner for uh, yeah for new projects 
I mean, the, the little bit about the threat, the downside of all of this is probably also, and that's also what you see when you work with these systems, it can also really lead to quite cliche imagery in the sense that it's not really new as it's just generating stuff from existing data. So you have to be also really critical about what you're outputting with these systems also because it can can lead to all sorts of bias for example so it's really the interaction uh, the future creativity will be really be i guess uh, at least for the short run still about uh, human artists really uh, interacting with these systems in a really critical way and that it will serve as a sort of uh, yeah booster for uh, human creativity yeah that's so interesting because what comes to mind for me is this idea that historically artists had to, you know, you have this image of the artist as a lone ranger and they are you know, inside their little attic room and working on this masterpiece all by themselves and have no money, have no support, but this dream that one day they are going to create, you know, the next big whatever it is. And it sounds like what you are saying is with the introduction of a tool like this, that it's almost as if artists now have access to a team, so to speak, of assistants and people, I mean, of course, in the form of AI, but to this whole pool of resources that can help them to generate whatever their creative vision is and bring it to life. If you, for example, think about a Hollywood studio, I mean, if you watch the credits of any movie produced by Hollywood, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people involved. And of course, if you're making an indie movie, you know, there might be a handful. So do you think that in this sense, these kind of AI tools can also democratize the artistic process for artists who don't otherwise have access to these supportive resources? Yeah, that's exactly uh, yeah, great how you describe it. It's indeed also, it will... It's a democratization in the sense that it will make artists less dependent on the really big budgets to, to, to create stuff like that. And it's also, you know, in history, I mean, artists like uh, Rembrandt, but also a famous Dutch painter, uh, Jeroen Bos, they all, all had their teams of assistants. It's really often they used to actually fill in the details of their creations. And these assistants had creative input of themselves. And it's indeed, you know, we're really at the edge now, I guess. Artificial intelligence is really useful now to create imagery, to create new text. But really at the border, I expect yeah, next year will be about, at some point, about uh, text, uh, sorry, about artificial intelligence. That we can use it in the same way to start creating short movies or maybe even longer movies. And the future, uh, yeah, a uh, path where we're heading indeed is about that it might just be possible that indeed uh, uh, just independent creators at some point will be capable of uh, creating uh, yeah, nearly Hollywood uh, uh, quality uh, special effects uh, movies, etc. So that's really be, it's a really interesting period uh, that we're in, um, in which we'll see, um, yeah, hopefully that the power of uh, really the best, the best uh, creative ideas will uh, yeah, lead to all sorts of new, uh, fascinating uh, movies, artworks, uh, etc. It is indeed a very, very exciting time. So I want to go into a little bit this idea that we have to engage critically with these tools so that it doesn't become repetitive. So I know that you recently did a little project where you put um, input into ChatGPT around the idea of melting ice caps. 
Could you tell us a little bit about this and some of the insights uh, that you came to as a result of this project? Yeah, sure. So this is actually part of this project, uh, Letters from Nature, that I um, yeah we, I initiated two years ago with a friend of mine, Peter van der Putten, from uh, Leiden University in the Netherlands. And this is basically about using artificial intelligence to give voice to uh, to nature itself in the debate about the climate uh, crisis. So we initially used it. We used artificial intelligence initially in this project to actually write letters to world leaders uh, about uh, climate change and to actually warn them and ask for help about uh, yeah, the changing climate. And we worked in all sorts of forums on this in several museums across uh, Europe in the forms of paper, letters, projections, etc. And we encountered, um, well, ChatGPT, of course, it even sounds already quite a while ago, but it just it was launched last week, I guess, like one and a half weeks ago. We and we started having this uh, idea for creating this conversation actually with uh, ChatGPT on a level that wasn't, uh, yeah, uh, possible uh, yet with GPT three that we used uh, up to that moment. And when we really, yeah, when you get into this. Um, yeah, conversation with ChatGPT. It's somewhere on my Twitter uh, timeline as well, uh, I guess. But you can really see that we're really getting into uh, a quite deep conversation about uh, art and the creation of new sorts of art projects with this system and eventually even using it to write its own uh, yeah, funding request uh, for, for such an art project. So it really showed me the the... Yeah, the capacity of these systems to really, to really, um, yeah, really reach a new level and actually, um, that is less about just um, making possible what you what you give, uh, what you ask it, but it's also more about really having uh, a conversation at a high level and really have new creative input of the system. And the main, what you really have to be careful about with these systems is really about being critical, critical about the output, that the output isn't, um, and it was less the case in Letters from Nature, for example, but what I worked on in other projects, for example, with image creation and technologies, that you really have to be careful, for example, that you're yeah, that your output is not biased in some kind of way. So if you would if you would ask an AI system to write something about a CEO or an assistant or an image of a CEO of an assistant, it will probably re lead to really stereotyped imagery of a CEO and assistant in the sense that, for example, a CEO would always be this white male of a certain uh, age. These are things you really have to be uh, critical about. And it's also, especially with systems like ChatGPT3, of uh, ChatGPT, sorry, you really have to be careful also if you ask it for factual information. So it's really bad at giving facts. You don't know if it's actually giving you some kind of uh, fact that it's really true or it's just making up something new, which could really sound when you are, are, are when you read it, could be perceived as really um, yeah, something that is true, but... Uh, basically just isn't. It sounds to me like ChatGPT and all of these other tools are in some sense a reflection of what we already have in society because you can't read something just anyway and take it as truth because you never know what the, you know, the, the objectives are with this piece of information being out there. And of course, this idea of bias as well being just a reflection of the biases that we see in the world already. Um, so I'm thinking of this saying that history is written by the victors 
And it sounds like this trajectory that AI is taking, that it also, in large sense, the input is written by those that really write and lead the main narratives in the world. Um, I want to jump a little bit still on the work that you've been involved with and incorporate also a conversation about quantum computing. So tell me about the project Quantum Cat and how you incorporate quantum computing into your work as well. Yeah, sure. So uh, Quantum Cat is actually a project that I, uh, well, I, I started working on it, uh, I guess it was more or less uh, uh, around these dates uh, last year. It's a project, uh, it's, it's part of this uh, artist in residency at the Amsterdam University of Applied Sciences. And what I'm building there is this digital cat. And this cat lives in this installation of uh, old wooden uh, chests. And it's a cat that is uh, using artificial intelligence and uh, quantum computing to reflect on all sorts of ethical dilemmas. So, and ethical topics. So that could be, for example, a topic like, uh, well, um, a topic like uh, freedom of speech. It's really current uh, topic, of course, uh, on Twitter. So uh, freedom of speech has this kind of ethical dilemma around it in the sense that should freedom of speech be completely free or should it be, for example, does it have limits and uh, to what extent it should be free? Because it could, of course, also lead to all sorts of hate speech. And should that be free? So these are really difficult, uh, you know, the choice between the two, between uh, is freedom of speech good or bad or should we put it completely free or not? These are really difficult decisions which for computers to take, uh, AI systems to take. They're just not capable of taking such ethical decisions. And in this artwork, experiments with some sort of way using artificial intelligence and quantum computing to actually, well, not make these decisions, but show the full grayness and full possibilities, the full spectrum of all sorts of opinions that you could have on such a topic. And that's what the cat is bringing forward. So it's not bringing forward a certain one position on freedom of speech, but it's showing all spectrums, all sorts of opinions that people possibly could have on uh, such a such a topic so it really shows the complexity of ethical uh, decision making and it also in, to some extent makes the case that maybe we as uh, as humans should also more often take in and consider the positions on these ethical dilemmas that other people have instead of just uh, going for our own uh, opinions and the way artificial intelligence is used uh, in that is that it's, re it's used to create the textual content of these opinions. So that's, again, text generation, artificial intelligence. And the quantum computing uh, gets involved there in the sense that it's uh, enabling a complete randomness in the presenting of these opinions. And we're working there with, these, uh, with this Dutch uh, organization, QTech, and they're working on all sorts of quantum computers. And these quantum computers, they work on a principle of, that's called superposition, in which they measure electrons. And based on these measurements, these uh, computers can get really fast, uh, 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 yeah, uh, can do really fast calculations. And this is based on a principle that electrons on a really tiny scale in the quantum, in the world of quantum mechanics, they're not binary in the sense that they can be in multiple positions at once. And for us as humans in our world, it's really strange. You can only be in one position at once, but an electron can be at several positions at once. And that's a phenomenon called superposition. And I really thought it was something that was uh, metaphorically uh, yeah, really 
an interesting thing because the thing that I'm bringing forward with the quantum cat is this sort of ethical superposition. So it's a cat that is bringing forward several, uh, su uh, all sorts of positions, ethical positions at once. So that's more or less the idea uh, behind, the, uh, behind the quantum cat. Yeah. Jaren, tell me, your work explores very, very pertinent issues, uh, which of course is always, I mean, for a certain kind of art is the directive that artists like to take is to raise the big questions, to explore them, to make people think. But as we know, a lot of art in the artistic world is in some sense elitist in the sense that it's not accessible to the average person on the street. Um, do you think that by using these kind of cutting edge technologies that you are able even if, hypothetically speaking, able to reach a larger audience with the message of your art than you would have been able to do if it wasn't through these mediums that are so pertinent in terms of technological development? Oh, yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. It's also, I do have to say, of course, that these the newer technologies have always uh, had my interest, so that's been, I've always worked with newer technologies, but the newer technologies... They've always enabled me to to um, yeah to reach out to a much much larger uh, audience than I would have had uh, without them. So basically, when I started, one of my first projects as an artist, I created artworks that were all involved with social media. So actually, using social media content to create visuals, etc. This was really something that was also communicated to the public uh, uh, through social media and was really successful at that. And it's really. You know, it's a, it's a good point that you raise about this elitist aspect of art often. It's, in my opinion, also really important that you always try to achieve a certain layering in your artwork so that it will have multiple layers, multiple aspects, which can really connect with uh, uh, audiences at all sorts of depth and all sorts of... Um, yeah, uh, interests in the sense that, you know, in a project like the Quantum Cat, but also in Letters from Nature, there's there's uh, there's some level which people can really connect to as as the Quantum Cat is just a cool cat and it's it's interesting to watch visually visually, but there's also much more philosophical depth into it that really uh, yeah touches on some of these deeper questions on what ethical decision making actually is and how that works and uh, yeah how do it. Yeah, and really connects also in depth to all sorts of ideas from uh, and history from uh, quantum mechanics. So yeah, that's really something I, I try to achieve through that layering uh, in my artworks. So I'm curious then if we shift over a little bit to Web3, uh, for example, NFT technologies. Um, there's been so much talk about only very particular artistic use cases. And of course, in a market like the one that we are experiencing at the moment, all of those projects that are focused on those particular use cases are the ones that are falling to the wayside. So I wonder, do you think that this technology, NFTs, are still a viable medium for artists now that the hype perhaps has died down, but the potential of the technology in terms of what you're able to do with it as an artist is still there, is still, well, is not there. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I guess, I guess what you, uh, to some extent, you, you could see what, what, what's happening to NFT and, uh, and NFT-based art. It's, it's, more, it's a little bit like, uh, although I see similarities with what happened to uh, artificial intelligence-based art. 
So what you saw with uh, AI-based art, this this kind of uh, started, uh, which still would still call AI-based art today, kind of started uh, in the sense of using deep learning-based uh, technologies. It started around 2013-14, and there were people that uh, worked over the years and years with it, and then suddenly around, I guess, 2018. There was this big hype in uh, in uh, media attention for it, also because uh, one of the uh, traditional auction houses, Christie's, they they uh, for the first time ever they they uh, auctioned uh, an AI based artwork, and they sold it for a really high price at that time. At that time, it wasn't wasn't near the NFT amounts, but uh, that you saw like uh, two years ago. But it was like something like three or four hundred thousand uh, euros. So there was really a big amount of money uh, uh, back then. And what you then saw the year thereafter, some some new sales were actually uh, tried. So it was also Sotheby's, the auction house, trying to sell something. But it was much, much lower uh, uh, price they actually got for it. And then it was kind of, I guess you could call it quiet for maybe two, 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 three years. And then suddenly, I guess around the, um, so when NFT broke loose, the, the, the media hype uh, for that, it kind of, yeah, what you saw happening then, I guess you could say that then you again saw AI-based artworks really being sold again for, for high prices. Although that at that time, it wasn't really, that it was actually based on artificial intelligence, these artworks, that wasn't really discussed anymore. So that was just a given fact at that point. It had become a given fact that it was actually possible to create art with artificial intelligence and that art could be created with artificial intelligence and that it's actually art. And I, I expect, but it's very difficult to predict, something like this will happen to NFTs. So there's been this big hype to NFTs with really high prices. Now it's really down in some kind of bear market. And then I expect it to pop up again in like, to, yeah, you know, at some at some time scale in the in the quite near future to pop up again, but we'll probably need some other some other development around it again to really bring it back into this uh, uh, higher level. So some some sort of development, I don't know, in some kind of metaverse or some kind of AI technology that will uh, use NFTs in it, etc. That will boost boost it again into uh, you know to to some kind of new uh, bull market probably. But it will, at that point, I expect it to not really be, you know, NFT will not really be a topic anymore for discussion at that point. It will just be a given technology that is there and that is just accepted. Okay, this is NFT. It's just NFT and we're all used to, to using that. And that's just, uh, yeah, that's just um, yeah, what it is at, uh, at, at that point. So I guess uh, if, if, if it's possible at all to make any prediction, I guess it will, will develop something, uh, yeah, probably like, uh, like that. Yeah, it's interesting in the space of technological development that you have hype followed by death, followed by just complete acceptance, as if it's always been the case. Um, I want to put you a little bit on the spot. First, you created an NFT collection, Cube Mouse NFT. Um, and I want to know, because of the way that the technology is going, whether that is societally or whether this is the potential of the technology itself do you envision yourself using nfts in your art again or are you waiting for as you said this next sort of integration of another technology that is going to make nfts come alive again 
And please tell us about Cube Mouse as well. Oh yeah, sure, sure. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, Cube Mouse is actually one of the first, uh, yeah, for actually the, the first uh, uh, sole uh, of a NFT project that I uh, created uh, on my own. It's um, yeah, the core idea of Cube Mouse was it's generative uh, abstract form that's a little bit like a mouse, looks like a mouse, a mouse, and it's uh, created using algorithms. Actually, again, uh, based on uh, quantum uh, data. And uh, the idea there was also to use um, the income stream, so the profits generated with uh, these, um, yeah, with the NFT sales, to actually bring it into uh, back into um, well into the world again, in the sense that these profits would be redistributed into several uh, streams of, uh, of of financial money actually flowing towards uh, projects that would have some kind of NFT-based environmentally uh, aspect uh, in them. So something to do, for example, with fundraising for the environment, and also another one uh, into the conservation of uh, of um, of uh, uh, older artworks. So in that sense, it was really about bridging uh, this boundary again between the blockchain and the purely digital and bringing that income, that profit again into the into the real world, uh, uh, to call it like that. And um, so now I lost kind of your question. Could you repeat it again? Because there was more in your yeah. question. I know. <laughs> Please tell me your thoughts on, as an artist, having had the experience with NFTs that you've had, and considering that going forward, a lot of how we engage with NFTs might change. Do you foresee yourself using NFTs again in your artwork in the near future? Oh yes, absolutely. So uh, actually, also with the quantum cat piece, that's um, yeah, it's uh, the the idea is, or at least uh, the not only the idea, but we're actually going to display it uh, at uh, CES Tech Fair in Las Vegas. It's actually if we will make this uh, over the next coming two three weeks, so that's the beginning of January, we'll actually launch a certain uh, NFT based on the quantum cat again. Now, outside of that, there's another project I'm working on at the moment. It's for this uh, yeah TU Delft TU Delft. It's Technical University Delft in the Netherlands, also in the artist residency there. And there we're experimenting also with, uh, I'm creating this digital animation for them using one of the new supercomputers that's actually also going to be an NFT. But what I'm mainly also experimenting with still for me, NFT at this moment is also still to, to kind of explore how, how I'm just going to use it, how I'm going to use it. So is it purely for uh, this medium of selling an artwork and actually making some kind of uh, money with that or is it also really about um, or more about the engagement also or the interaction with the public so it's really you know in that um, project for the technical university delft uh, actually uh, that's going to be a real physical so really this uh, like live uh, installation on this big screen also and the F NFTs will actually also uh, be this medium for uh, audience engagement in the sense that people who buy these probably really affordable NFTs can actually also use these NFTs as these uh, tokens to actually uh, play around with the real live installation also uh, uh, at, at some point. So it's really about this, um, you know, this this. Yeah, experimentation, exploration for me still about uh, yeah, what the most interesting uses of uh, NFT uh, are. And it's also, you know, purely creatively, I haven't even touched on all the capacities of NFT yet. So there's so much in there. So actually to use these NFTs to actually, um, yeah, you know, interact with uh, the public in the sense that people can actually, yeah, change things in the NFTs to get a view, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many um, 
things to explore there still. So that's definitely something uh, I will keep on using in the future. But it's also, you know, this, this whole difference between, I guess that at some point it will also be less about the NFT or that NFT will be, be this thing on its own. I, I also believe more in the idea that at some point you'll, artworks will really be medium independent in the sense that you will create an artwork and this could have a physical form but could also have an nft form so that's really you know and it's so it's kind of for me it's also still a little bit old-fashioned already to really think only about nft yet it's purely this digital thing it's really also for me my artworks at least will be really also about always having a sort of physical component most probably and a digital component which will be uh, nft based yeah, it's interesting to think about how, I mean, as we were talking about earlier, that as soon as something new comes in, it's all the hype, everyone rushes to it, but slowly or fast in some cases, it becomes integrated into just the general cultural collective. So yeah, looking forward to seeing where all of this is going to go in future. But I want to focus a little bit on the integration. A lot of your work is integrating nature with technology. And of course, you know, historically speaking, the two are in completely different camps. Either you are an environmental hippie living in the woods or you are, I don't know, the hyper sciency uh, CEO or, you know, whatever the case may be, living it up in the city and never the twine shall meet. So how do you see nature coming into the conversation at a, at a level where it wasn't able to before? because of what technology is able to do. Yeah, we're experimenting, of course, in a project like Letters from Nature on this speculative uh, level with that uh, question. So really having nature actually uh, having a conversation with you or actually writing letters. And these are, of course, speculations also to uh, to raise attention and raise discussion exactly on this topic uh, about how we could use nature uh, in the sense, or sorry, how we could use technology to come closer to nature. But we're really living in a time that is really about that question, about how we had that interaction of humans, uh, uh, technology and nature. And I guess on a more practical level, so what we will really see increasingly, I think it's also going to be about artificial intelligence just giving us a much better understanding of the state of nature. That's probably the first step. So that's already something that you see already. So artificial intelligence is used to model the climate, for example. So without artificial intelligence, without technology, we would have a much lower understanding of actually how, uh, yeah, what the state of nature is. But you could think of all sorts of those kind of applications. So we could use sensor technology, uh, artificial intelligence in a way that will really be about, you know, uh, about understanding uh, the state of plants or the state of crops, which is also used a lot for us. So how can we optimize uh, the quality of life for a plant? How can we optimize the quality of life for uh, animals? These are all more uh, really already stepping into those fields and using technologies. And I think that at some point we will have, you know, we're on this path towards increasingly uh, tighter connections with nature. It might still seem crazy uh, to us at this point, like letters from nature. It seems totally crazy that letters of that nature would actually write letters at some point. But I think we're in some way, we're actually getting closer to something uh, like that. 
Brilliant. Yeah, I think it's all around a very exciting time in the world. Of course, there's a lot of problems, uh, but the difference is that a lot of these problems have always been there. They are just now being highlighted because of what technology is bringing us in terms of awareness. Um, so I am curious, because we are focused on the show on Web3, um, first of all, what is your definition of Web3? Because you work with a lot of different types of technology. So in your eyes, what is Web3? Oh, wow, that's a big question. Yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, I would probably describe Web3, uh, I would describe it as the blockchain, which may, maybe in my purely simplified terms would be something. It's just, it's a digital register. That's just uh, how I would describe it. But the difference is that often, often also a lot of people say to me, okay, but how new is this then? You know, we've had registers all the time. We had it forever and ever at, at, at every age. And then you could also say, well, it is more or less the same what we've had, but we can use it far more efficiently now. So it's a bit like, uh, you know, when we invented the printing press, before that we already had books, but with the printing press that enabled us to really really um, yeah, make these books like massively available in all sorts of uh, forms. And that's, in my opinion, what NFT is doing. So NFT is enabling me as digital artist to, to create all these sorts of new forms and ways of uh, selling uh, uh, artworks and engaging with audiences in all sorts of ways. And that's different, you know. I've, I've sold, of course, digital artworks also before NFT. But that's really different in the way that you could do, could do it now. And we're just at the first steps of that. It's really about, NFT is really about enabling these sorts of new interactions with uh, uh, people. And that in a future world, which really in which all our content will be AI generated and, the, you know, the virtual environments we will interact in, this will really be a base technology that will really be... Yeah, uh, facilitating uh, the ways we, uh, the future ways we will interact. I'm keeping an eye on the questions, and I saw a question that relates very well to what you were just talking about. So this is from Space Boy. There's a lot of fud about AI replacing humans. What do you say to people who tell you that? Yeah, it's not. It's far. It's still far from. You could say a couple of things. It's still far from replacing uh, humans in the sense that artificial intelligence. It's still very much a system which has. You have to realize with artificial intelligence in the first place that it's a system which has no knowledge at all, no understanding at all of the world at all. It's just a replication of existing data. It can be really cool in the sense that what it can do with the data, but it doesn't like a human have any knowledge of the real world at all it doesn't have a conscious conscience at all it doesn't it's not a living being or in any way so in that sense it is in some uh, way just an advanced form of statistics that is uh, the sort of tool it can also be your assistant but it's still far far from uh, actually uh, uh, being able to to uh, replace a human in the sense that it will replace all sorts of more boring tasks which could be really, uh, you know, like uh, uh, the boring part of writing text, the boring part about maybe even image creation. But um, 
it's far from replacing, you know. An AI will at this moment still uh, will nowhere be able to to uh, yeah to interact with another human being in the real world, or it's, uh, uh, it's still far is from capable of really understanding and really bringing forward to really good uh, creative ideas. Yeah, I want to jump on that uh, train of thought a little bit. So, of course, there's all this talk, as, as the, the question asked, about AI replacing humans and, you know, doom and gloom, Terminator style. But practically speaking, when all of these, let's say, more repetitive tasks are increasingly being replaced, the same as what we saw in the Industrial Revolution, what do you think, what implications is this going to have for society where a lot of shift in thinking has to take place, perhaps as high as government levels, as low as small businesses, where we will have a group of people who before were employed and now these jobs are taken care of by AI. Do you think that society as a whole is ready to shift their thinking about what the role of humans are, if not that some humans are there only to do these repetitive tasks? Yeah, that's a very good question. And that's also, that's a really important question to raise because that's, it's really important to keep in mind that of course these technologies will have two sides to them. So I just described the positive sides, but there is of course also, and that's just the same with uh, robotics, there are more uh, darker sides to them. And that is also with uh, technologies like creative AI that we will just start using them to create mass, uh, you know, uh, mass, mass uh, cliche imagery. And indeed, uh, there will be people uh, left without jobs. But this is also, that's the societal debate that you should have now. I don't also, I, I neither have the answers to those either, how you would deal with that. But that's really the, what the societal debate should be about now. But I don't think that it would be that at this point you would start to you know uh, like forbid these technologies or it is really about finding new ways of adopting them and uh, finding indeed ways in which we will use them in a way that's really about having the ai do their best thing and having people really come back to to what people are good at and what people uh, uh, think is fun and that could be you know the human connection, the, 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 the really what humans are good in is understanding human feelings and human connection, and also still thinking about the really big creative ideas. And that's what humans should focus on. The artificial intelligence should really be kept to to doing uh, the dumber work, in the sense that. And but so that's really something to be careful with. That the AI will not take over also that uh, first human aspect. Now that leads me to another question that we have on the pool. So let me just see here. Okay, it's quite a long one, so I'm just going to summarize. So how many artists do you know, perhaps you know a lot of them, uh, creating art for causes or awareness rather than just creating art for money? So I'm not sure if this is an NFT-focused question, but generally speaking, what perhaps is the, uh, the, the percentage or perhaps the divide between artists creating art for a larger message, uh, if I'm understanding your question correctly, Colleen, uh, or is it that people are just creating art because there's an opportunity to make money? So I, I feel like this might be NFT related, but yeah, please answer in whatever way you feel. 
Uh, yeah, that's. I guess. I guess with NFT, there's been uh, quite a rise also in projects that were aimed at, at generating uh, uh, money with it. With it, couldn't really, couldn't really um, yeah, estimate what kind of percentage that would be. But I, I think, luckily, there are also a lot of a lot of projects which are which are about those, um, yeah, you know, good causes, etc., and about bringing forward larger messages. And maybe that's also, you know, I, I do think with these uh, newer AI technologies that there will be a kind of shift away from, well, not from uh, art created purely for money, but I do think there will be some sort of shift away from art purely focused on creating visuals to art which more towards art which is about the messaging. Because what you will see, I guess, is that there will be, because of all these new AI creative systems, which kind of take over also the image taking part, so there, I do expect that actually the human ideation, so humans thinking about this larger message, this larger concept to really try to bring forward, that's going to be really important. And the actual creation part, purely visual image creation, that's going to be a little bit less important. Yeah, then on that note, I see the questions keep on coming in. Thank you, guys. Just a reminder, if you haven't joined us before, please feel free to either put in a speaker request or you are also able to just DM your question to the Adlunum team at Adlunum INC. And you could be an, as anonymous as you like, so just let me know if you don't want me to use your name. So next question is, we have just one world, and it's great that you are taking up awareness about the environment. But if not the environment, what else would you take up? What else would you be fighting for, for from Gloria? Oh, well, that's, uh, there's a lot to fight for. Uh, well, mainly my work is also about this exploration of boundaries in the world. So uh, one of the other boundaries that I also work on is, well, for example, bridging boundaries between people. So could we bring people closer together? So I worked on projects in the past, uh, which were critiques, uh, for example, on the fashion industry, because uh, a lot of the really the high, uh, exclusive, high-priced uh, fashion is often produced in countries, uh, 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 lower-wage countries like uh, India, uh, uh, in that case, in which... Um, yeah, the, the workers that actually create the, uh, the fashion were uh, underpaid. And I really wanted to bring, you know, uh, on this project, I worked on using artificial intelligence to bring these two groups of people, people from India and Dutch uh, European consumers, closer together by actually showing AI-generated Indian faces on uh, this uh, dress that was uh, worn by uh, Jennifer Lopez. And I adapted this uh, YouTube video of Jennifer Lopez walking in this Versace dress. And I actually added these uh, faces to them to actually bring uh, yeah, people closer uh, together, more in um, yeah, in each other's awareness. So there are many uh, uh, yeah causes to uh, to fight for uh, there. Absolutely, the day the fight stops is the day that there's yeah <laughs> we live in a perfect world, and I I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, <laughs> so one more question. I, I let me check the time. Okay, we might have more time for more than one question, but let's say the next question. Does the Dutch community feel strongly for NFT art or are they more likely to, okay, I can't understand this word, but are they more into, let's say, cryptocurrency wealth creation? 
Oh, yeah, I guess if you would have to say which one of those is more popular, then it's more about the cryptocurrencies. You also have to realize NFT is really a niche, 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 uh, certainly NFT-based art is really a niche in the sense that you could have, if, if you're... You know, in my bubble and probably uh, the bubbles of a lot of people here, you could really have the impression that NFT art is really popular just in the general population. But in my experience, it's it's far from. It's really, I do a lot of talks at uh, conferences, etc. Also for really big crowds, also from the tech scene. And I, I uh, sometimes I ask there if there are people in the crowd who actually bought NFT art. It's just, it's a very, very low uh, percentage of people that actually have, have, have uh, ever bought something like that. So that's quite, that's quite interesting to realize. So in that sense, uh, NFT art is, is, in my opinion, still, still very much about experimenting. It's still, still very much an upcoming market. It's far, far from uh, something that is uh, you know, something for the general public at, at this moment still. And then we have one from Chanman20. What is your biggest source of inspiration? So this is a loaded question. So I'm going to add to that. When you go about your daily life, what is it that catches your eye that ultimately makes it into your art? What do you look out for? Uh, well, that's probably uh, that's probably other art. So, <laughs> so I, I do I do uh, visit a lot a lot of uh, art fairs, but also so watch a lot of uh, art uh, online. Really, also into all sorts of uh, gatherings, meetups, etc., which are always about uh, art and uh, well NFTs also, etc. So really, also the digital art scene. So that's one source, but also my second source probably um, watching. Um, yeah, also videos, interviews, reading a lot about uh, yeah more uh, technology, technology and philosophy uh, related uh, stuff. And outside of that, nature itself is of course also an inspiration for me. So uh, being outside the nature is really a, a source of inspiration for the nature inspired uh, artworks for me. So I'm curious, what type of art are you usually drawn to? Is it art that operates in the same space as you? Because it brings to mind for me uh, this book uh, by, is it Austin Klein, I believe, about uh, I can't, something like stealing, you know, all artists steal in the sense that all artists are inspired by other artists. So do you draw your inspiration from other artists in the same space as you or do you go as far as something completely contrary to what it is you are doing but you are getting your inspiration from the messages or the techniques or the line of thinking that is these artists engage in yeah good artists copy great artists steal something like that it was but um yeah so i, I do visit a lot of um uh digital uh, and see a lot of digital art really a lot so really worldwide also and it's also an inspiration but for me it's much broader than that so i go to all sorts of uh, art festivals and art museums etc so one of my main sources of inspiration has always been uh, the old masters so old master painters so uh, i go also go a lot to uh, dutch museums which have the dutch old masters and uh, mainly in the beginning of my career also worked on uh, creating uh, new um, interpretations using artificial intelligence of uh, dutch old master paintings so what i worked on was pro were projects that actually used uh, ai to create a new van gogh painting or a new uh, rembrandt painting so there's really a lot of uh, inspiration i'm a big fan of rembrandt so uh, there's a lot of inspiration uh, for me in there because it was really 
you know, outside of purely visual, that he was capable of creating these really beautiful aesthetically uh, paintings. He was really also in his style, really, really uh, revolutionary in the sense that he was already using some kind of like impression style painting, really two, three hundred years uh, uh, ahead of his time. So that's really, it's always been a source of inspiration for me. So I have a special request question uh, from JP. Uh, our team are scattered all over the world and it's World Cup season. And since you are from the Netherlands, I'm in Croatia at the moment, so I'm definitely rooting for them. So JP wants to know which team are you rooting for being Dutch? <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not sporting Argentina anymore. That's clear. That's for sure. That's, uh, <laughs> so I'm now probably... Yeah, I'm, I'm probably supporting uh, France now at the moment because it's just so high quality with Mbappé. It's just, you know, it's just um, purely looking at, at skills of the players, the capacities of the players will probably go for France now. Yeah, I had the amazing experience as soon as I got to the city where I am at the moment. It was that night, uh, Croatia's game, and my entire apartment building was watching the game and you could hear the excitement reverberate from every apartment. So I am really seriously rooting for Croatia so that I can be here and experience them winning the World Cup, which would be absolutely amazing. So Jeroen, thank you so much for an absolutely fascinating conversation. I want to leave the audience with one piece of pondering with them that they can take away with them. So if you had to leave the audience with one thought, what would that be? Oh, wow, that's a difficult one. Um, and with one thought, I would really um, then, um, yeah, really uh, advise you to think about what actually is the difference between uh, humans and uh, nature, because that's one of the questions. Uh, and I would advise you also then to watch maybe some videos of the philosopher Latour about the philosopher Latour and his work about really about the uh, what actually the difference is between humans and nature, and if the difference exists at all. And if you really get into that mindset that this difference might be uh, an illusion in the end, and that's really gonna, can be really uh, yeah, life changing in the sense that uh, yeah, how you how you work and live uh, yeah in your life uh, if you uh, yeah think about that. So maybe that's one uh, direction uh, to uh, to lead your thoughts into. That is certainly something that can keep folks busy for the rest of the week. So thank you for that very, very important food for thought that you are leaving us with. So that's all for today, everyone. Thank you so much for joining in. And if you are listening in afterwards, thank you for investing your time into broadening your own mind, uh, as well as share this time with all of the amazing speakers that we have. Because every single week, we all learn something new. At least I learn something new every week. So just on a final note, uh, in terms of Adlunem's FIFA meme, meme contest, speaking of the football, uh, winners will be announced today. So to find out if you've won, just stay tuned to the Twitter channel or the Telegram chat. Uh, and remember that winners have to follow Adlunem on Twitter in order to qualify. So looking forward to seeing who are the most creative minds, whether the, whether you used uh, AI to generate your meme or not, uh, ultimately, yeah, we will see who is going to make us laugh the most. And perhaps, perhaps it involves Mbappe, who knows? So on that note, guys, thank you so absolutely much for another hour of just fascinating insights. Catch you again next week for another episode of the Future of NFTs. 
brought to you by Adluna. Cheers, guys. Jeroen, thank you so much. Lovely to hear about your work. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for you because I think you are the pioneer bringing a lot of these new technologies to the audience at mass scale. So yeah, looking forward to seeing what's next in the big developing world of technology and where it merges with art. So yeah, catch you later, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Great to be here. Thanks. You've been listening to the future of NFTs. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform like Spotify or iTunes. Connect with AdLunum on Twitter at AdLunum Inc. or our website, adlunum.cc.